Welcome to the English Montreal School Board Podcast, where you'll hear from the people within the EMSB community and beyond, beyond. people with some inspiring stories, and people who work very hard to make this board, the EMSB, the choice of thousands of families. So excited for this. We're set to chat with the winners of last year's EMSB Public Speaking Contest. We've got three winners on with us from Westmount High School, Eliane Goldstein, as well as two students from Royal West Academy, Alexander Lewis Kaminer and Rafaela Etienne Kreef are here, as well as Anne Beamish, the Secondary English Language Arts Consultant for the EMSB. And I guess, Anne, we'll start with you. If you can uh, just give us a reminder on what last year's theme was. So the 2022 theme, so uh, that's from last year, was Our Lives Begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter. Uh, and that was uh, a quotation from Martin Luther King Jr. Um, and uh, that I chose it for for the, the fact that, you know, it does lend itself to having uh, students give uh, different, put different spins on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but also that it makes the speeches much more, it elevates the speeches to a level. First of all, everybody's sort of on the same playing field and we sort of get a, uh, different different takes on that idea on that theme and there's a bit of interpret interpretation that happens as well uh with the theme so uh that that's why i chose that um and i have to say when we listen to the speeches uh that that the students uh created last year and especially our winners that we're going to be hearing uh they really 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 did attend to that that uh quotation in different ways we get all different iterations of that it, it brings the different things to them and also it allows them to take uh, something, you know, outside of school. That's not a normal kind of school kind of topic. Um, And then bring uh, what's important to them into their speech. All right. So we're going to hear from some of the winners now. And we'll start off with Eliane Goldstein, a student at Westmount High School. It's called How I Started My Holocaust Podcast. Eliane. All right. So this is How I Started My Holocaust Podcast. I got into the elevator scared out of my mind. Was this really about to happen? It was the first interview that I'd ever done, and I was just about going crazy. About a thousand thoughts were racing through my mind. What am I going to say? Is she going to be able to hear me? What if I suck? What if my voice sounds too high in recording? If I seem to be a little scared at the moment, it's because I was. The butterflies flying around in my stomach had teeny little butterflies inside of them. That's how bad it was. It'll be fine, I thought to myself, because at the end of the day, it'll all be worth it. Let me explain. I was on my way to interview a Holocaust survivor for my podcast. I picked the topic of the Holocaust because I noticed it's not really taught in North America, and I wanted to help educate more people on the events that took place during that time. My goal was to make sure that the Holocaust isn't erased from history. Finally, the elevator stopped. Are you sure I have to do this? Atisuma, don't be silly. Of course you have to do this. We're already here, my mom told me. It might seem like I wasn't excited about this, but that's not true. I was. I was just scared. I knocked on the door reluctantly, and it pushed open all by itself. Jordana, my dad asked. Ah, yes, come in, come in, said the voice of Jordana as she walked over to the door to greet us. Take your shoes off of the door, she said. Finally, after what seemed like forever, Jordana came into the room, and we were ready to start. Well, she and my parents were ready. Here goes nothing. What is your name, I said. Sorry, dear, I couldn't hear you. What did you say? Eliane, Jordana is almost 92 years old. You have to speak really loud. You can't whisper, my dad told me. I didn't think I was whispering, but whatever. What is your name? I said louder. The pattern kept on repeating. I would say something, and Jordana would tell me to speak louder. All through the interview, 
My dad kept on interrupting me to ask his own questions. It was so annoying too, and he literally would not stop. I don't know how it happened, but at one point he cut me off entirely and wouldn't let me talk. For 10 minutes, he just sat there asking his own questions, oblivious to the fact that anyone else is in the room. My mom kept on elbowing him to try to signal to tell him to shut up, but he just wouldn't. Eventually, I got the interview back on track. And I don't mean to toot my own horn, but in the end, I did pretty well. Fast forward to now. It's been almost two years since that day. What started out as something that was supposed to be a little six-episode series turned into 80 episodes and counting. Not to mention, I've had some articles written about me, received some awards, and I'm so much more confident now than I was when I first started. At the end of the day, this isn't really about me. It's about standing up for what you think is right and trying to educate more people so that history isn't forgotten. And remember, you can do anything you set your mind to. Anything. Great job, Eliane. And I may know something a little bit about that podcast too. <laughs> it's a good one. Um, Eliane, tell us a little bit about um, not only how you came up with the idea, but how you came up with the concept and the perspective in, in your public speech and how you told it, why you told it that way. Well, they said that I had to write about something that, like, they said that we had to write about a time that we stood up for something that was right. And obviously, like, this is like the thing that I'm most proud of and that, like, time that I've stood up for something that I think is like, like the best thing to stand up for. So I wrote about that and I sat down and I started to write it and I absolutely hated what I'd written. And I actually like, I did not like it at all. And it was like a couple of days before I had to submit it and I just erased the whole thing. And I restarted from scratch and I sat down for like an hour and I wrote it. And um, it took me forever, but I decided to tell it from my perspective so that people understand what I was going through at the time and how it is to like start something like this instead of just to think that it's just like that easy that you can just do something like this. I wanted people to understand like the work that it takes to put in. Mm. And talk to me about the work that it takes in to, to put in to a public speech. Some people can come up with a public speech like that, but most of us can't. And so how did you persevere and how did your ideas evolve? Well, it started off, I was going to write about the moment that I decided to do the podcast. And I was like, it had to be two minutes and 30 seconds. And I was really like reaching for nothing. And um, I just kept on like rewriting it and rewriting it until I found like the version that I really liked the best. And to be honest, when I presented it to the class, I was not confident at all that it would like achieve something. I didn't really think anything of it. I just was like proud to be sharing what I'd done. And I was like really taken aback when um, they told me that I would be moving on. Hmm. Eliane, we have more questions for you coming up. We're going to listen in a second to Alexander's speech. But Anne, I want to ask you your thoughts on Eliane's uh, public speech. Well, I have to say, when I heard her say that she took the theme into consideration when she was planning her speech, I was so happy to hear that. Uh, because one of the things that we've changed over the past few years in public speaking is we've, uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, one thing, it went from a, a live uh, event to an online event. And I had to change something to make it better. And I'm always trying to improve uh, the things that we do at the English Montreal School Board. So I instituted, um, well, uh, uh, I added a quotation. So it's a thematic uh, inspiration type of quotation. And then the big idea uh, was standing up for what's right. And that's what Eliane went with. So that was really interesting. And also your process, like how the first idea didn't quite work out. So you worked and, and you changed it a little bit. And then when you uh, presented it to your class, how you felt about it. And I have to say the judges, they were blown away by your podcast because it was so 
tied to like standing up for what you believe in, but also doing something that's doing something better for the world. Like you're, you're changing the world in your own little way, which is great, <laughs> which is what we look for. So Alexander Lewis Kaminer is from Royal West and his public speech is titled Quebec's Outrageous Bill 21. Let's hear it, Alexander. I have called you into my office today to have a much needed conversation. I know that we haven't had many chances to get to know each other. The school year has just begun. From what I've heard, you're a great teacher. The kids love you. And your resume is impressive. I see that you graduated from McGill with a degree in education, which is why it pains me to pull you out of the classroom. You see, you wear a cross, kippa, head covering, hijab, turban. Today, I will be talking about Quebec's discriminatory Bill 21. In June of 2019, Bill 21 was passed by the Legault government. It bans the wearing of religious symbols for government service jobs, such as teachers, lawyers, police officers, and many more. It is an appalling rule, shocking diverse religious and community leaders across the province. Rabbi Michael Whitman, the leader of a synagogue in Hampstead, said the law was evil and must be fought with every legal or moral method available. Lena El-Bakir of the National Council of Canadian Muslims described the bill as being a discrimination that creates a divide in the population and fuels Islamophobia. By attacking religious symbols, it also causes a loss of identity, forcing employees of the public sector to push aside their values and their cultural beliefs, forcing them to push aside part of who they are. The right of freedom of religion in this country is protected by the Canadian Charter of Human Rights and Freedoms, as well as the Canadian Human Rights Act. This charter guarantees the freedom of thought, belief, and expression of religion across Canada. So Bill 21 infringes on our rights and citizens of the as on our rights as citizens of this country. It creates a society with no tolerance and no acceptance. I ask you, who would want to live in a homogenous world? Our province has been suffering from teacher shortage, especially in the last couple of months. We saw this leading into and throughout the pandemic with a rise in needed substitute teachers. We even had substitute French teachers who couldn't speak French. Just last December in Chelsea, Quebec, a third grade teacher, Fatima Anvari, was taken out of the classroom because of wearing her hijab. These students have been deprived of a perfectly qualified teacher because she was expressing her freedom of religion. This law doesn't make any sense whatsoever. You can have a university degree, be qualified to teach a large group of students, and be turned down for showing a sign of religion. Not only does Bill 21 deprive workers in the public sector, but it deprives us students in terms of teachers and in terms of our future in this province. The Quebec government defends this law by insisting that it unites all Quebecers and promotes equality while integrating the culturally diverse population into the Quebecois society. They don't understand that multiculturalism is vital to the way that we view others, to mutual respect and to help lead the way to equality. Equality cannot be reached through destroying diversity. In short, Bill 21 limits diversity and greatly affects minorities across Quebec. It is discriminatory, dividing, unconstitutional, and simply wrong. This bill goes against our morals and values as Canadians. Not only does it impact wearers of religious symbols, but also us students in our future. We must stand up for our rights and freedoms and those of our fellow Quebecers to get freedom and equality for all. The government may try to convince us that this law is the best approach to solving inequality and racism, but they are wrong. Cultural diversity, not forced assimilation, is the key to acceptance and equality. The real struggle isn't pushing aside part of who we are and what we believe in to fit in. 
the real struggle is acknowledging that as people, as humans, we are all different. Thank you. That was amazing, Alexander. I'm wondering why you chose that subject matter for your speech. I'm half Jewish and I'm half Catholic. And I'm more I'm more practicing uh, of Judaism. And I see that this bill taking away, say, the rights of teachers who want to wear kippahs or head coverings, I, I see it as attacking their religion and their beliefs. I, I see that as completely unfair. I've had teachers. I had a science teacher last year who who was religious. I've had teachers before that were religious and wanted to show their their beliefs wanted to demonstrate what they believed in and i thought they should have that right why should that be taken away from them i i couldn't see any reason and so that's why i decided to take on bill 21 because i wanted to help help fight for the rights of everyone even if i don't wear any religious symbols my fellow there's teachers and and uh, and Quebecers and Canadians in Quebec that that do. I've got some more questions for you in a second, but Anne, talk to me about uh, Alexander's speech and why it was just so effective. Well, that opening that he did was amazing because it put us in the in the position of being the teacher who's being told that they can't have a job because of their religious beliefs, which is an effective. A very effective way to open a speech. And in cycle two, what the students are doing in cycle two is secondary three, four, five. Um, they're doing persuasive speeches. And Eliane's speech actually was is more of a narrative-based speech, which is a different thing, but also still a speech. But now they're trying to persuade the audience more and they're taking on heavier topics and social the social and political importance more and more, which is exactly what Alexander did. Um, but and it's reality. It's it's very real, this whole thing with the with Bill 21. So it was timely uh, the topic was incredibly timely and and something that affects our educational sector and hey there's new bills this year that you can go and take the <laughs> and talk about this year <laughs> but you know it's it, it was just something and you and it's something that's important to him that he believes in so it, just all of that the 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 passion and the engagement was there well you felt it alexander i wanted to ask you how important um as far as delivery is concerned is emotion and passion you you can hear the emotion as you speak I think, yeah, I think that that was, that was the key. That was something I was trying to work on was how to deliver it, how to speak with conviction and how to be passionate about, I mean, I was already passionate about, uh, about being against Bill 21, but how to be passionate in my speech as well. Well, you did a great job. Uh, so let's bring in Rafaela for uh, her speech. Rafaela also was a student at Royal West Academy and her speech, her public speech is titled Voicing My Colors. You ready, Rafaela? Yes, I am. Let's do it. If I ask my four-year-old brother to point to the Disney princess that most resembles me, Jasmine or Cinderella, he is going to point to the car. He really likes cars. I am not black. I am not white. The same way I am not a car. But instead, I am proud to say that I have inherited features from almost every corner of the globe. My eight great grandparents came from Tunisia. France, Iran, Poland, Switzerland, Belgium, Dominican Republic, and Haiti. However, when I identified myself as mixed, nine students confronted me saying, you are an embarrassment. You should be ashamed of yourself. If you have one Haitian great-grandfather, then you are only Black. Black is the dominating trait. If being one hate Black 
was not enough for me to identify as mixed, then what fraction allows a person of color to define their own identity? Slavery was the foundation of racial classification. Slave owners enhanced the numbers of slaves and kept society pure-blooded by creating a hypodescent system called the one-drop rule. The one-drop rule forced people of color to identify as Black and enslaved anyone who had one Black ancestor. A mixed-race slave was only liberated and eligible to human rights when once they had less than one-eighth of Black blood. That one-drop rule is what was used to dictate my identity, to belittle my worth and to silence me. Reverend and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. did not stay silent. When people of color were being denied medical care because of race, he used the strength in his voice to unite a country and a society divided by color. He said, our lives begin to end the day we become silent about the things that matter. But what happens when we stay silent about our own identity? It felt like the end of me when I was silenced. The one drug rule measured the degree of race so that people of color would never be able to escape the roots of American slavery, of Jim Crow laws, of the system that allowed the KKK to lynch any person of color to set their homes on fire. If one asked to choose between Jasmine and Cinderella, my four-year-old brother chose the car, then there is indeed an alternative to being white or black. There is the choice to identify with qualities instead. In 1977, Canada passed the Canadian Human Rights Act, which gives me the right to stand before you here today, demanding to be judged by my character and not the color of my skin, which is overflowing with identities that all merit to be respected equally. Repeat after me, no more racist rules in our communities, in our schools, in our families. No shame for having one drop, only pride, pride, for all the drops. Thank you. Okay, hands up if you have chills right now. <laughs> yes, everyone's hand is up. There's so much emotion there. And talk to me about the emotions that you went through putting this speech and, and project together. Well, that's what I wanted for this speech, to show that emotion, because when these peers confronted me, I did not know what to say. Um, I had not done my research. Uh, I didn't even know why I didn't identify myself as black or white or why I felt I didn't, I couldn't be placed in one of those categories, which are which is race. And that was a big factor when putting my speech together, making sure each word really showcased the position people are put in when they are told what their identity is. Was it hard to... Um create emotion from from words what was the challenge of creating emotion when you deliver your speech well the big factor i had to consider this is just the big overall factor that was like the um, what i had to just um the challenge of writing this speech was there's so much to say and according to my research it goes farther than the one drop rule 
It goes into um, the different categories that were created during the time of U.S. American slavery of the African-American community. Um, some places considered um, relieved people from the status of Black once they had less than one-sixteenth of Black blood. When people were divided in terms of quadroons and octoroons and all these different levels of and hierarchies of race in general. And um, because of the time limits um, of the speech, I wanted to summarize it the, um, the most possible. And each word was considered for which word would... Um, would would convey to the audience the emotion that I wanted to reveal. And super effective, right? What are your thoughts on, on her speech? Well, I mean, Rafaela, she inspired this podcast because she's the one that uh, asked to, to have some sort of avenue to share her speech with others. And I think because it educates, it inspires, it actually used the quotation that I gave them last year, which they didn't have to do, but she incorporated it very well into her topic and her speech and her message and quotable, quotable stuff in this speech. You know, I was writing down notes actually when you were talking, um, make it, it it's so, so, so important. And that, it, you know, it's, it's exactly why we do public speaking for the types of speeches that we've heard today. And, um, and then, you know, also I have to say in the past that I've been inspired by the students' speeches to make changes in the way I approach working with teachers, uh, bringing in diverse texts, um, educating teachers on being more sensitive to others and, and all kinds of things. So the students have a tremendous impact that way, which is which is beautiful. Eliane, can you talk about those teachers a bit and tell us uh, how big of a hand they've been and they were in coaching you for public speaking? Well, not a lot of people know this, but the day that they decided I was going to move on from the class competition to the grade competition. I presented my speech the day before because I'd been sick and I'd only come back the day before. And my teacher made the announcement. She said, we're not going to pick anyone to go to the auditorium from this class because I don't feel like it fits in the theme. And after the class, I talked to her and I said, could you please consider me? And she said, I was going to ask you if you could do it. And I had 24 hours to like get the speech memorized. And we sat together and we just like went over it over and over and she coached me and she told me like the words that I should like emphasize more or when I should slow down and speed up. And she was really like, she was like really great. And she was really supportive the whole time. Alexander, can you tell me a little bit about the work that your teachers uh, did with you and making sure that your speech was uh, top notch? Sure. So uh, my English teacher at the time, of course, helped me a lot with the editing. But there was also my homeroom teacher who was an English teacher. And just a few days before I presented, I think it was two days before I presented uh, online for the school board, he went through and helped me rework it just to make just to make the words as effective as possible and say as much as possible in as little words and um, try to try to bring out emotion in, in my in my speech as much as possible. So I'm really grateful for, for that help that I got from both of them. Rafaela, we can't leave your teachers out. So I was very fortunate last year and I had a great ELA teacher, Mr. Wilson, and his help went even before public speaking started. Um, he was introducing to the class topics that would be considered controversial in, um, in some environments, but the way he did it was to make us critical thinkers and be able to analyze texts and not mainstream social issues 
Um, and this went in all the competencies of English that we explored last, last year. It was um, in our writing, in, um, in orals, and in uh, the stories and the classic literature we read. And my class were, did not originally, um, was, did not participate in public speaking, nor did my grade. But all these new topics I was being introduced to and um, recent discovery of my passion, which is public speaking, um, really gave me the confidence to come up to him and ask him for that opportunity. And since then, he worked with me, advising me how it's going to work and overall gave me this opportunity. And I'm forever in debt to that. I do want to add that this year we're doing a public speaking live <laughs> in person at Royal Vale School uh, on the 19th and 20th of April. And we're carrying on with that tradition uh, of having a, an inspirational quotation, uh, something to um, center the day and have everybody, you know, giving their different versions and their different takes on what that means to them. And um, yeah, so, and, and, you know, this type of podcast is definitely something that also is going to be used in the classrooms by the students who are working on refining their speeches this year. Mm. So in that sense, you know, I don't know if the students have any advice for the kids who are working on their speeches this year. I was going to ask that. I'm sure you guys can all offer some in incredible advice. Um, Alexander, can we start with you? Some advice that you have for students working on their public speeches? So I think the most important thing is you have to speak with conviction and you have to be really passionate about what you're talking about. And I think that's the, that's the base of all persuasive speeches and all of the, the public speaking for persuasive speeches that we do, you, that you really have to speak true to your beliefs and true to yourself when, when you present in front of others. That's, that's, that's the advice that I would have. Rafaela? I like to consider public speaking as an art the same way we would visual arts and music because what is an art? A place to get creative and explore and find individual styles. And that's what I did with public speaking. I made sure I interpreted what I was saying. And in terms of, like Alexander said, the conviction, uh, the emphasis on which words, the flow, um, beginning in the funny tone and the sudden emotion uh, changes and practice in front of a mirror because you <laughs> want to be able to see the faces you're making, your posture, and yeah. <laughs> Eliane, did you practice in front of a mirror? Practice in front of my mom. <laughs> yeah, people work too. What number one piece of advice for uh, students writing their public speeches right now? I would say be passionate about what you're writing about and like really believe that the thing that you're writing about is true because I feel like a lot of people are made to do public speaking. They don't really have an idea on what to write about. So they first, so they pick like the first thing that they think about and they kind of do like, they kind of work at it, but like halfway, like, like, like they don't put all their effort into it. They kind of just like do it, but they don't like believe what they're talking about. They, okay. You have to like know what you're writing about. Raphael, I'm just curious how much you learned about yourself during writing your public speech? A lot because my public speech addressed something that many didn't necessarily agree with to begin with. And I got the chance to afterwards present my speech to these peers that thought otherwise and I mean it was a chance to educate them and it just showed me that many people usually just don't know when it comes to these topics 
And I mean, if I have a skill that is public speaking, why not use it to educate these people? And I mean, these students are are amazing. Their speeches, you could just you could just hear the passion when they deliver it. Yes. Yes, so much so. And uh, I mean, these are the winners from last year, of course. So they really uh, are the uh, exemplary uh, speeches that you would uh, get from public speaking. Um, But I have to say, I'm so pleased with the way the students selected topics that they were passionate in, Mm. that that were important for their own lives and the lives of their peers as well, or identifying problems in our in our culture and society, which is part of the reason, especially in cycle two secondary, where we want them to be looking more at the world, you know, going from themselves to important topics of social political importance. And uh, yeah, they, they really, really did. Um, but I also like, you know, things that they will do outside of school. They're talking about things that they do outside of school, which is bringing that world into the classroom, which is important. Tell me why you're so passionate about public speaking and why it's so important for these students to learn on how to write speeches, how to deliver speeches. It opens doors for students. It's a skill that's maybe, yes, it's a little bit old fashioned. It's been criticized. And that's one of the reasons why I'm always trying to change it a little bit to make it a bit more relevant to students' lives and to the lives of teachers as well. But it opens doors for students. Um it's a very difficult thing to do. Not everybody can do it. Myself, I'm on stage with them all day. And the first time I had to do it, I was terrified. And it gets easier the more you do it. And uh, it builds skills that they they don't, they don't, they can, it really can change their lives. It, it's built, it builds skills that they don't necessarily get in school. It opens doors for students how? Critically think and to, and to persuade also, that's very important to be able to, even the storytelling that we do in cycle one, that's, you know, the narrative speeches to make your topic interesting and, and engage people. Those are, and those are very, very important communication skills to have. And I think that's what that brings to students. It's very important. Uh, you must have been so proud minutes ago to hear Eliane Alexander and Raffaello deliver their speeches. I could just imagine what's going through your mind. I am so proud of them. Every year this happens, I uh, I promote them. I become their best agent, their cheerleader. <laughs> and it's as if they were my own students. Yeah. You've been listening to the English Montreal School Board Podcast. Make sure to subscribe to this and the Inspirations Podcast, Quebec's only podcast dedicated to the special needs community on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Thanks for listening.